0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tom Alemo. They call me Tommy Tahoe. Uh, this is episode 210, and uh, excited to be here, uh, pumped about this week's episode, about today's episode. Um, real quick, if you're new to the show, this is where we help uplevel young salespeople uh, with career advice, inspirational stories, um, tactical advice, You know, an uplifting message to help you make more money, get better at your job, earn the next promotion, wherever it is that you're trying to get to. Um, If you find any value in this podcast, in this episode, the one thing I ask is if you go to Apple, hit subscribe and leave a five-star review. Uh, It takes a minute and it really helps me to gain my reach, to get better guests, to create better content for you all. So that's really the only ask. Uh, Without further ado, let's talk about today's guest. Um, I am talking to Sarah Brazier my coworker, uh, AE, account executive at Gong, one of the most popular sales thought leaders on LinkedIn, almost 30,000 followers. And um, she has a super interesting uh, career track from um, you know the arts uh, in teaching, uh, theater, um, speech and debate, you know all these different things. Uh, then getting into sales a few years ago, we talk about that path. We talk about uh, her journey from SDR to AE struggling in the early days as an SCR, and then even tactically, how is she building pipeline and how is she prospecting right now? Uh, You're really going to enjoy this episode. Sarah's a rock star, not only for the posts on LinkedIn where she gets thousands of likes, uh, but in the day-to-day when she's actually selling, I can see emails where she is closing deals uh, and and is absolutely crushing it. So I really think you're going to enjoy this episode, uh, especially if you're someone that has Uh, transition from another area outside of, uh, you know, normal college graduation to being in sales, maybe if you came from another industry or uh, took you a while to get into sales or whatever it might be, this is going to be a great episode for you. So without further ado, let me bring you my conversation with Sarah Brazier. Let's go. All right, Sarah Brazier, welcome to the Millennial Sales Podcast. What's happening?
1: Not much. I'm just sitting on my couch next to my unlit fireplace. It might be February, but here in Berkeley, California, it was a high of 68, I believe. And I think it was actually warmer. And I sat outside for one of my calls and I think I've got a sunburn. So,
0: Is that where you are? You're out in Berkeley? I actually didn't know that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I live in Berkeley. So um, are you familiar with the Berkeley Hills at all?
0: Yeah. Mm literally i've only gone to berkeley one time and i went to a concert there so i know nothing
1: okay well where you went to the concert <laughs> did you go to the a concert at, at berkeley's campus yeah okay i just live like half a mile up the street from there
0: there you go nice that's yeah.
1: pretty great come visit sometimes yeah. i sit on my roof and drink wine so you're invited not
0: not a bad move is that a was that a COVID decision because were you in the city before
1: I was in the city before and it wasn't a COVID decision. It was a I don't really feel like being in the city anymore. And um my partner was like, I can't live in the city anymore. And he wanted to move to Europe. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like the middle
0: ground was Berkeley.
1: (laughs) And I was like, well, um, you know. Why don't we just look at, why don't we just look at somewhere that's like feels a little more like we're in like a neighborhood and not, not so, I lived on Geary. I don't know if you know Geary, but it's a very busy street. I do know. And uh, um, I was, I'm close, I was close to the college campus. So every, every like Tuesday or Thursday night, there'd always be like drunk college kids, like yelling outside my window. There's like one time where there was a couple in a fight and I just like lifted up the <laughs> the window and i was like you guys need to shut up and the guy yelled me back and i was like no you don't listen to me it is <laughs> 4 o'clock at night. We have to work in the morning now you take your drunk girlfriend and you go home <laughs> like oh
0: man i love um, that <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was very very new york of me not very san francisco but they they stopped talking and they left um so anyway i was like tired of that so we moved out to <laughs> to berkeley literally two days before the shutdown happened so i was Moving my stuff in in a rainstorm because it always rains when I move. And uh, my brother emailed me and he was, or he texted me and he was like, Hey, I think you should go buy some groceries, everything's going to shut down. And I was like, Okay, cool. So, like halfway through, unpacking my stuff into my new little, very, very fancy as you can see, yeah. my my brick wall here, brick wall blocks. My stuff, cinder- what's
0: what is that picture? Is that a is that a is that a bull?
1: It's, a bison. A, a it's bi- a bison. I was gonna I was gonna say Street. that, but
0: yeah, okay. Yeah. I like that.
1: My pleather couch, you know, very, you know, very fancy. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I moved here and that's where I've been. That's where I've been ever since. Just sheltering.
0: Good times in Berkeley. Yeah. I love it. Well, um, I'm excited to to get into things. There's a lot of, you know, uh, reasons why I wanted to have you on the show Um, that range from you have a really interesting background. You obviously uh, crush it for anyone that, you know, connected with you or follows you on LinkedIn and have made quite a presence there with, you know, the way that you, you know, what you write as well as like some of the webinars and things that you join. And you also just like dominated as an SDR and are starting to dominate as an AE, just like in actual results, which uh, truthfully, I, I don't think that always correlates like the LinkedIn superstars versus the people that hit quota and, and you know, make the most money and all that stuff. But it, it doesn't always correlate. So um, I'm interested to get into all that. I'd love to start first with your background, like broadcasting major in school, did some work for, um, was it like some television shows, some like news shows, like, what? where was your head at? And, uh, you know, like, that was what, eight or so years ago when you were coming out of school as a broadcasting major?
1: Yeah, so degrees in broadcast. I My thought was, I'm going to go, I'm going to be Terry Gross and I'm going to work for NPR, classical, other smart stuff. And I was going to say, I was going to be you instead of me on this. <laughs> and, you know, I was yeah. going to be doing these really long form human interest pieces and we were going to get to the root of how to solve society's greatest problems. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, I remember sitting in, in class and there are two things that really turned me off to news. Uh, one was the crazy amount of work you do and the crazy little amount of dollars you get paid. And I'm not shy to like hard work. Um,
0: yeah.
1: at, like when I was in college, I think the... Lightest semester I took was 17 credits, you know, and I think like 18 credit. You can't go past 18 credits without yeah. having to pay extra money. Um, and uh, when I when I was this semester, I took 19 credits. I was um, doing speech and debate, mock model UN, and I was also a um, teacher's assistant. And the speech and debate team I competed for, we traveled every weekend from September through April. So it's not like I was like, I don't want to work hard. It was more yeah. like I don't want to work hard and get paid like might gonna max out cap out at like 30 32k a year yeah yeah <laughs> that was one of the things that I was like I don't know I don't know if I'm cut out for that and um the more I learned about um just like bias systems within reporting and um the influence of you know at the end of the day news people are there to sell this you, you sell ads right you're yeah. you're um and so that means that sometimes you can't report on the stuff that you want to report on because somebody is a sponsor or, you know, mm. you know, they, their ads are are paying your salary, yeah. um, which didn't need to be that way in news, by the way. So anyway, those are things that turned me off. This is like very meandering. So I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. So then I left school, sold jeans very, very shortly at the buckle And while I was selling jeans at the buckle, I got a call from my speech and debate coach. And he was like, hey, I got a job for you. And I was like, great. he's like, I think you should take it. And I think you should work there. And so they're going to call you like tomorrow. And the job is as good as yours. And it was at a nonprofit called the National Speech and Debate Association. They host the world's largest academic competition.
0: Mm
1: -mm. And uh, they just had, yeah, they just had two people quit. They're like, yeah, we really need someone. So if you could just come for like six months moved to Des Moines. And two weeks later, I was living in Des Moines, Iowa.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So what, what do you like so much about the debate world? Like obviously there's parallels to sales, but you did that in college and then you did that professionally for a little while. So like what, what drew you to that? And why are you presumably, I imagine very good at it if you've been doing it that long?
1: Yeah. I've, I did speech and debate all through high school, all through college in high school. I, um, it got me a scholarship to go compete on this team. So we were we had a very good speech and debate team and then the National Speech and Debate Association. And then after that, I coached speech. And during that, I was coaching speech. So I was very deep
0: mm. in the
1: speech and debate world. If you like, if there's someone in speech and debate and you tap them on the shoulder, there's a strong possibility I know them because I got so deep into the community. Yeah. um, And the things that I like about it, so... There's speech and there's debate. They're different. They're not the same. Um, debate sounds like debate, where it's like you you prepare both sides of an argument, and you walk in, and someone flips a coin, and you just hope that you got the argument that you feel stronger on, and then you go in and you platch, you know. And yep. it's it's uh it's very logical. It's super smart. I wish I'd done debate, just because I think it would have made me um honestly better at negotiating. Um, yeah. But what I did was the speech part, and I specifically did the interpretation categories, which is where you take a piece of literature, like a play, or a poem, or a um, combination of different you know, creative writings, and you perform it as a character, yeah. and, it, and it's like a 10-minute skit, and it's competitive acting. It's mm-hmm. very fun,
0: Yeah.
1: but it has nothing to do with debate. That's the fir- that's because speech and debate is actually called forensics, like that's what like if you're really in the community and forensics is not like forensic science. It's actually comes from the word forum, which um, it means the search for truth. So a forensic scientist is trying to figure out like why what happened to this person? Why, why are their bones all wiggly wonk, right? You know, yeah. they're searching for the truth. Well, in forensics and speech and debate, we are searching for these ultimate truths. Like what is the truth of the humanity under this story? What is the common thread that brings us all together? it's very like um, connecting the dots, reading between the lines, things that eventually trans, trans- translated to developing business acumen, reading a 10K and understanding where where are the things that they're not saying that you need to you need to kind of poke at to find pain um, mm-hmm. same with when you started a discovery call right it's all it's all about trying to peel back the onion um,
0: yeah yeah so i did i had no idea that speech and debate were two different things i thought you were just going to say yeah i was just like going at people head to head like we'd be talking about you know the typical things that people debate about and like i was just a ruthless you know, negotiator and that's how it tied into sales. But you kind of threw me off my course there. So no. you're doing like 10 minutes, like Hamlet or something. I don't know. Like, that's just the first thing that comes yeah. to mind. Something like that.
1: Yeah. I, I would perform like um, Second Lady by M. Kilberg Reedy. And I play the wife of a politician who has a emotional breakdown while giving a speech to the League of Women Voters or... Um, Next to Normal, which is a Broadway musical about um, a couple where the wife has um, bipolar schizophrenia and um, hallucinates that their son, who died as a baby, is still alive, and um, like it's it's an amazing musical. It won it won multiple Tonys when it came out, and so so then you take that and you say, okay, like here's this thing, um, and then you build like an argument around your performance. So you have to justify the choices that you make as an actor to um, argue something. So an example, like second lady, what I was sort of dissecting is like, what, where is the point where a private, where a public figures private life gets put on display, which becomes more and more interesting as yeah. like at the time, like, you know, people just started having Facebook cause I'm old, um, <laughs> but like, you know, especially in today's political arena, where like anything that you say in private can suddenly be put on display. And sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's bad. And how does, how does the individual cope with that when they are not, you know, the wife of the politician, not, not the person who wants to be thrown into, into the public space, but gets dragged right. into it. How, how can you separate those things? Um, and so the argument is essentially that like, there ha- we have to create barriers. Otherwise you get the lady, like in second lady, she has a huge breakdown. Great.
0: I've, I feel like those types of, of, you know, stories help you to understand human nature. Like I heard someone say recently, like there's only so many patterns that humans have, right? Like there's only so many things and so many thoughts and so many ways that people react in certain situations. So I've found that, you know, reading something like you know, I haven't read what you're referencing, but just reading like really old history or things that are totally unrelated to sales or business, like just gives you a better feel for humans and like yeah. how they react in certain situations, and and just you know helps you take take sales aside, just helps you personally.
1: Yeah, well, the thing about theater is that um, one of one of the acting coaches that I had worked with at some point, or maybe maybe I read it in a, a book it essentially says, said that um, every human emotion that you could possibly experience, you will, by the time you're 18, like you're just going to have felt it. Now, the circumstances are always are different. You know, there's a myriad of things that I will never experience um, like sitting in a point of privilege, living in my little Berkeley hut, selling SaaS software, but I can, I can empathize with every feeling that anybody, everyone has felt frustrated and knows what frustration feels like. Everybody yep. has felt grief and knows what that feels like and we've all felt different nuances and colors and so as an actor you go in and you you um you don't tap into what uh, to the memory of it you tap into the the physical memory I mean you can't tap you can't go back and like think about something really terrible that happened to you and then or, like think about that what you're trying to act but that's like acting theory. Anyway, you, just, yeah. you, you, can, you can use that to empathize with these different emotional states. Um, and when you can put yourself in that psychological space uh, of grief or anger or joy or delight or anticipation, you can then start seeing things and thinking about the different paths that are in front of you, the logical choices that, logical, but the steps that people take as they are in an emotional state of being. Because every, everyone says that, you know, buying yeah. is emotional. Like the act of sales is eliciting an emotion and getting people to emotionally trust you, buy in and make a choice and then justify it logically later on.
0: Yeah. So there's the parallel.
1: There's a parallel. There's so <laughs> many parallels. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so I'm curious, I know that you you know, after doing some of the speech and debate, I think you were a teacher for a few years, maybe Mm -hmm. in a few different capacities. And then like, there was the hard shift from that to working at, I think, Optimizely where um, you were doing, I don't even know exactly what the exact role was, but it wasn't salesperson, it wasn't BDR. So like, tell me that story, like, how, like, where's that hard turn? I know that you mentioned, maybe it was financial, similar to like the broadcast world. but like, then how did like why sales? Like, how did that happen?
1: Okay. So I told you I'm working at the National Speech and Debate Association. This is meandering. Everyone, buckle up. So I'm working Let's, at the I, National. I love
0: meandering. You might not think that the people want to hear meandering, but that's all that's all people care about nowadays. So just meander away.
1: Well, I'm in my minivan. We're going on a Sunday drive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep, and we're just hitting green lights all the way through.
1: All the way through. Well, we're in the countryside. We're in Amish country
0: right now. Yeah, okay, great. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm from Ohio. You know, there's, we don't even have stop signs out there. We do, but they're few and far between every couple miles. (laughs) Um, I've driven
0: through Ohio. It's brutal.
1: Depending on where you drive, Amish country is quite beautiful.
0: Yeah. I just mean, it's like flat and.
1: Yeah. On a long
0: road trip, it's like kind of like you could fall asleep at the
1: wheel. it's, It's not like driving through. I don't know Canyonland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: not like that. <laughs> not like
1: that. Um. So okay, so I'm working at the National Speech and Debate Association, and um, my boss at the time is guy named Scott Lease. He's the executive director. Scott's got wait, a brother-in-law. Wait, Scott Lease? Not Scott Lease. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, I'm just thinking. <laughs> I've just talked about Scott Lease so recently. No, his name's Scott One. Oh. W U N N. Oh. Wow, that was a moment.
0: That
1: would have been that would
0: have been wild. Okay, go ahead.
1: No, I wish that would be cool. It's like actually, I've been talking to Scott. uh, It was Scott Lee's the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're gonna got one, got one. Um, and anyway, Scott's got a brother in law who worked for Baxter, who still works at Baxter, the medical company, and he's Mm -hmm. like a a territory manager for their sales team. And their sales organization apparently was like the best of all of Baxter's sales orgs, and so they've been invited to speak. And they have this tradition of presenting like a really funny video at the beginning of all their speeches. Cause every, they're like, you know, like year over year, they're just really super great. Mm-hmm. And um, since I've got my journalism degree, I know how to edit video. So Scott's like, raise cause that's how he talks. He's like, raise I want to put some money in your pocket. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> great. Can you edit this video for my brother-in-law? And I'm like, sure, whatever. So I edit the video and anyway, I make friends with the guys cause they're, you know, they're, they're salespeople and this is like their presentation. So I went through so many drafts of re-editing this thing. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually like, it's good to go, we ship it. But that, I made friends with the guys. So the next year they flew me out to, I was living in Texas teaching and they flew me out to come make the, the video for the next year. And um, the whole time they're like, Sarah, you really should think about doing sales. You would you would really excel. And like, I know you like teaching but you would make so much more money. You should, you should just think about doing sales. And I was like, um, okay, I'll put that in my back pocket. So between speech and debate, I moved to teaching where I taught speech and debate and uh, drama at a middle school. And like, I finished that up and I just got like, I was just exhausted. I was so exhausted and I wasn't making any money. And I thought, you know, if I'm if I'm going to be this tired and this poor, I should do something that I really really love. I should go act. And my brother lived in San Francisco. So, I moved out to the Bay Area and slept on his futon and was acting and doing doing shows and trying to get my equity card. But obviously you you uh you got to still pay for like living and food and all that good stuff. Eventually I like yeah. moved in with some friends, but um, you know, theater, I could do a show where I worked, you know, 20 or 30 hours a week for two months on a show and I'd make 500 bucks for the whole show It's like, <laughs> you know, Jeez. which is like, if, if you get into like, um, sourcing enterprise deals as a, a as an SDR, that's like one deal source. Like that's like a cold call. Um, yeah. if you're lucky, right. More than that, but. So anyway, I I was doing that and I um, was coaching speech and debate still at at a, at an afterschool program in Southern, like South of San Francisco and working as a barista. And I thought, Oh man, like coaching speech is paying me money. Um, but it's taking away from my ability to go audition. I should get a job. I should get like jobs that are really close to each other. So I did, I temp worked at optimizely as a front desk girl as an office administrator Mm -hmm. so like if you forgot your badge I'd give you a temporary badge and I would you know like staple stuff together and um I mean the whole time I was just like hunting for like memorizing lines and reading books and just like trying to like get ready for my next audition Mm -hmm. um and I was also working in the morning as a barista before I'd go into the office so I'd wake up around like 4 a.m and I'd get ready and go go make my coffee go make the coffee for all the people i didn't drink coffee that whole time because i just everything smelled like coffee i just run <laughs> coffee too much <laughs> yeah. but you know I, this is the gesture you make when you make the coffee
0: right right
1: do that and then i'd have was it
0: starbucks or where what, was it a fancy like hipster Phil. spot or where was it? oh okay yeah so like it was like
1: pills. medium
0: yeah medium like fancy
1: yeah. yeah i like phil's i liked phil's I like fills is why I started working there. I don't like fills anymore. So I had too much fills.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're so you're up at 4? Up at you're
1: 4. I would not jog, consuming
0: coffee just creating it.
1: Not consuming coffee just creating it. I would run to the BART station, get there, set up shop, make coffee with a couple other almost all the baristas were women um until like 10 30, and then I'd head over to Optimizely. I'd use their shower because they had one because I just would reek of coffee. I'd just be the smelliest. Like Mm. I was so self-conscious about the fact that my hair smelled like coffee. And then I worked at the front desk until five o'clock and then I would walk out. I would pick some of their cheese from their fridge and I would hop on BART, head back to my house. Um, if I had time, I would go on a jog. Usually I didn't, I would use my lunch break. I had a, a whole 30 minutes lunch break while I was the front desk person. So I'd use that to work out in their yoga room because they had one. Aren't startups great? <laughs> yeah, it's
0: awesome. Cheese and yoga rooms
1: Yeah, and showers. So, and showers. Yeah, it was great. So I could like get all those things done, but I, I'd, I'd like go back to my house, get in my car and then I'd sit in traffic. Um, cause I would be driving out to Berkeley to go work on a show. And then I'd rehearse until like 10, 10, 30 at night. And then I'd drive back and do it all again the next morning. And um some days I didn't make coffee. Like some mornings I didn't, which was great. Um but I rehearsed um on weekends. So I never had a day off. And I did that. And I just like I just got really tired and I started to get really frustrated because I couldn't be in the shows that I wanted to do. And I couldn't, I didn't have my equity card. So I couldn't get insurance through that. I was like, I had to do the the office job that I was doing. I did because I could get insurance through it. Be, and because I worked part-time at the coffee shop, wasn't enough to have insurance. So it was like really just like trying to like find these like basic survival things to keep mm-hmm. money in my pocket. And I still made like, you know, I think I made, I think I filed like $13,000 on my taxes or something. It's like no money, yeah. <laughs> no money, no savings. And I thought, this is like really stupid. <laughs>
0: this
1: is so dumb. I should just get a real job. And that is what led me to sales. It was just per- pure desperation. And I started talking to people at Optimizely. And I talked to people in marketing. I talked to people in sales enablement. And a guy named Jim Jones gave me sell as human, which I read. And I said, yeah, I can do this. And then he introduced me to a couple SDR organizations that were hiring and that got me my first job. And um, I was really bad at it in my first job, but eventually I made my way to Gong and I got a lot better with some really great training from Tanner Robinson and like Adam Ochart and Eric Lindrose. And uh, yeah, that was like, that was the journey. It was just like, I'm going to go like, do jobs that make no money and be a servant and try to create art. And eventually like that lifestyle of like constant sacrifice without feeling like I was getting rewarded back or like being, you know, you know, being able to like really like build a life on top of it. It just, it just like wore me down to the point where I was like, I don't want to do that anymore when I found sales and I found that I could be good at it and that it could be really fun and that it would play on the strengths that I had of communication and empathy and psychology and problem solving and thinking about things creatively. Um, and I could like, I could, I could put money into my savings account,
0: (laughs) which is good,
1: which is great. I was like, yeah, I really like that. I like that a lot.
0: So what, well, you mentioned like the first role maybe didn't go so great. And most salespeople's, like most, when you start your sales career, most people I've talked to, same with me, like the first six to 12 months are usually pretty brutal. And um, it, a lot of people drop out, I think, short of that first year. So I'm curious, like if you were in that spot, it looked like it was maybe, I don't know, nine-ish months at that first spot. And then you went to Gong and Maybe it took some time to get, get rolling. Like what was the thing or things that, that you tweaked? Like what, what was that turning point for you? If you can recall anything, if it was a lesson or just a, uh, something that you started doing differently or a mindset shift, or maybe you just like were working your ass off and things started to finally work for you. Like, do you, do you recall?
1: I think it was a couple things. Um, so there, yeah, the number one thing was there was a mindset set, set shift. That's like the first thing that happened is I, uh, I was trying to, I was still trying to do shows while I was there, you know, I'd, I'd go to rehearsal in the evening. Um, so, you know, I, I finished my work clock out for the day and go, go practice. And I said, I'm, I'm just not going to be in a play for one whole year. I will not do a show. I kind of did a show, but I wasn't acting and I was producing it. So <laughs> there <you go>.
0: <laughs>
1: Yeah. It wasn't loophole. It was just like the hours, the the time, the commitment. Yeah. That was one of the things and I was just like, I'm just gonna master this job. And if I cannot master this, then I know I'm not cut out for sales. So that was that was the first thing. It's just a mindset of like I can and I will mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not gonna get distracted. And I made sure that in my first three months that I was overproducing pipelines so that I would set myself up for success. That was the first thing. The the second thing was um, I think around the way that, um, the way that Gong had structured mentorship in the SDR org at the time. There was this massive culture of Hey, this account's in your name and I have a lead. Let me give it to you. Be like, "Wow, like I just you just like gave me a meeting? That's crazy."
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> like, you that's crazy. Wow. Um, and it was great. Like that that's the culture of Gong. It's just like we're going to win as a team. Like no no one should should miss quota. Um, and so that leadership really came down from the top with Tanner, who would get on the phone like if I messed up a cold call, he call call back the VP of Sales and say, "Hey, like, how my SDR do? <laughs> Give me some feedback." Or if someone no showed, he'd call the no shows and be like, "Hey, like, where where did we? I'm, I'm the I'm the SDR leader here. Like, I know Sarah booked a meeting with you, and I just wanted to know like where where we fell off. Um, that you didn't that it wasn't worth your time to actually come to the meeting."
0: Kind of thing. I, did, I love did, that uh, move did he he booked meetings on that first, on that callback move or the first thing that you mentioned like yeah. you you mess up a cold call or someone on the team did
1: yeah he could do that yeah he could he would do that um or he'd just like tell me like go call them back or call them back yeah. and say this thing
0: yeah
1: um but whether it whether it worked or didn't work it built a culture of fearlessness on the phones mm. and of just like we, and we were very much allowed to fail and um And Tanner would do, I mean, we had call reviews religiously and he would handpick these calls and he would sit down and we would listen to each other's calls and he'd hit pause and he'd say like, Sarah, how would you respond to that objection? You know, Tom, how how would you handle this? Where should we go from here? And he'd do that not only with SDR calls, but he would have us start listening to account executive calls and do the same thing. So it's teaching us how to run discovery for when we became AEs. So it's just like this like, You know, massive investment in having us feel like—I mean, I felt like I was learning. I was learning, whereas before I just—I just felt completely lost. I didn't even know where to start. Yeah. And it was this is like this cultural like place, and that's like the third thing. It was just this this um, commitment to um, enabling your reps to be successful, and um, I mean everybody, everybody—it was it was like a, it was teamwork. You know, I sat down with every single person that was one of my teammates and they all led a separate session of my development. And, um, it, it wasn't overwhelming. It was super helpful. It was very tactical. It wasn't like, let's sit in onboarding for eight hours and good luck after. It was like, let's now let's put this into practice. And, and, you know, the first, like just getting a cold call script, like not a script, but you know, like, Here's the formula. No one explained the formula to me. Yeah. I I like begged people for the formula. I would go, I like would, my last job, I literally pulled different people into a room and I was like, can you just explain to me how you go from high to now they're on the calendar with the account executive? Yeah. Like I just, I could not figure that out for the life of me. And I would get on the phone with people. I could talk to you for 20 minutes, but you still wouldn't take the meeting at the end of the call. It's like, yeah. How do I do that?
0: It's really hard. It's so hard. It's, it's, it's damn near impossible without a roadmap from a leader, from a peer, a friend, whoever, like to just like be, you know, given a territory and say, book, you know, X amount of meetings per month or per week, this much pipeline. Like, I I just don't see that ever working. Like you, every once in a while, you might, you know, someone might be able to just kind of, Bang through the phones and try to figure it out on the fly, but you, you need that level of coaching. And yeah. um, and you know, one of the your, the things that you wrote this week really resonated with me. It's when we're but when we're talking right now. It's it's uh, SDR Appreciation Week. I guess I don't I don't know who came up with that, but this is the week, the only week that you're allowed to appreciate the SDR. But but your it's point great. was, yeah. <laughs> but your point was, um, don't you know, don't just like appreciate. The SDR, like, give them the training they need. Give them the enablement. Give them the coaching. Give them a career path. You know, um, and all the other things that um, you know an SDR needs, a young salesperson needs in their career to, you know, feel like they have something working for them and and to be motivated to continue to get better. Yeah, and I love that message.
1: I, I mean, I talked to. I think that, um, I think that the SDR leadership and management is. Um, it's one of like the most overlooked pieces yeah. of the sales work. Sales gets all the attention. Um, and SDRs, like right now, SDRs are like having this really great shining moment. Um, like on my LinkedIn, like everyone's like, yeah, SDRs, even before SDR Appreciation Week. But yeah, the um, the thing that I think people aren't talking about is the tactical skills that SDRs need to be successful and how a manager can implement and teach those things. Because I talk to SDRs all the time and they frequently are have unattainable quotas. They frequently have managers who just up their KPIs but don't give them don't give them, they don't give them the roadmap for the cold call. They don't, they don't sit down with them and read the, you know, a a collection of the emails that they sent this week and critique them. They don't, they don't tell them, here are the important parts of a earnings call that you should look at, or how do you optimize LinkedIn in order to prospect? And the more I think about it, the more frustrated I become because I think one of the things that eventually allowed me to be successful was like, first I got this great training from Tanner, who's just great. Like Tanner's great. Tanner's amazing. Everyone, everyone, Tanner should, be paid millions of dollars because it's so great. <laughs> <laughs> so I out Tanner. I can't wait till Tanner is the CRO of a business or the CEO of a business. And I can go just be like, Hey man, can I work for you? <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just fantastic, but not everybody is fantastic like Tanner. And what ended up, ended up happening with Tanner is he was just there in interim. Like we were in the process of hiring on a true SDR leader. And um, he just happened to be the top performer who, also had amazing leadership qualities. But what I think ends up happening is with most SDR leaders, it's like you're 22 or 23, you hit quota consistently for a year and you have the choice to either go be an account executive or go be an SDR leader. An account executive feels scary because there's this even bigger number over your head. There's a whole sales cycle and motion that you have to learn and you're still an individual contributor. But then the SDR leadership role like that, that's got some like juicy, uh, a nice fat salary that comes with it. You already know how to do the job. Plus, you get to be a people leader. And So you go make that choice and you go do it, and you don't realize, oh my gosh, there's so much process, yeah. And there's so much enablement that maybe just like happened. You got, but now you have to teach everybody else. And so um, you get people who shouldn't be in leadership teaching the hardest part of the sales cycle to people who are in their first job, learning the hardest part of the sales cycle.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, and that's why you have these massive SDR organizations where, you know, 90% of the team is under 50% of plan and turnover is incredibly high. And uh, you need, you as the, you know, the CRO of the company needs five, five X coverage for whatever he's trying to hit ARR wise. And if he's part of a startup, it's triple, triple, double, double, double. So you need to have a ton of stuff in pipe. And it's just like the whole system seems a little wonky, wonky, wonk to me.
0: Big time wonky, wonk.
1: (laughs) And and I think I got lucky because I just happened to do a bunch of other jobs and um, to work for good people and to work for bad people and to work for in-between people and to kind of sniff out the, the BS early on. And, um, I also totally empathize with what Gong is trying to solve because, you know, we help salespeople get better at their jobs. We help give them yeah. the tools that they need to be successful. Um, and I can, I can do a good job of imagining what it must be like to be a sales leader in that situation. Cause I was for sure an a, a rep in that situation in SDR, where it was like, yeah. what's going on?
0: <laughs> yeah. I
1: don't know. Can I just <laughs> listen to a recording of someone booking a meeting? I'm going through all these Twilio calls and sales loft and like, I cannot find one that's not a dial tone and a voicemail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And, and I guess, you know, shout out to Gong with that too. But I'm I'm curious, like one of my favorite sections that I, you know, randomly created for this podcast, I call the selfish section, right? So this is just a question that I want to know because it's going to help me, and all the other listeners can, like, you know, go like, not listen for a few minutes. I'm curious, like, you were so successful as an SDR, and I'm, I'm sure that you're still prospecting, you know, right now as an AE too. But like, in my, uh, in my opinion i read something recently that like sales tactics uh change kind of like like they're like fashion and i'm not a fashionista by any means anyone can uh say that but like in the fact that they change often and what worked you know a couple of years ago might not work this year and so um i think that's true to an extent although the psychology is is you know consistent so i'm curious like tactically i'm trying to book meetings sarah let's just put it on the table like i want to get meetings i want to create pipeline like What's a what's one or two things that you're doing right now that is actually booking that for you? Mm-hmm.
1: Good question. Uh, tactically, how do I book meetings right now? So step one, go into my account list. The way that Gong works is uh, SMB, small business uh, or commercial account executives get about 900 accounts. And I went through all 900 of them and I tiered them. Tier one, two, three. And unqualified and once I had my tier ones I dropped them into sales navigator and I just looked for the right titles um so and all of those people so VP of sales you go into my tier one account VP of sales list you can do all of that on sales nav and I'm it's like a process I'm doing it it takes time it's not like I'm spending hours on like there's other stuff that I'm doing so I I do that and um while well, well, I'm looking at these uh, accounts, I'm also looking at who's in my name that I'm connected with on LinkedIn, like someone from the company I'm connected with. That's low-hanging fruit. And I'm looking for um, who almost bought but didn't. Those are mm-hmm. those are like good ones. And um, I go back through and I look in Gong. You can do it in Salesforce, though, so if you don't have have a really great solution. <laughs> um, but I just look at like, what was the communication? Like, why didn't they buy? Is it because they bought a competitor? Is it because we were too expensive? Is it was because timing didn't work out? Is it because someone, you know, just got busy? Like, what was the reason? And then um, why were they evaluating in the first place? And that's the outreach. It's like, hey, Tom, like you evaluated our solution about six months ago because you had X, Y, and Z problems. Is that still an issue for you? Yes or no? So is it time to pick up the conversation? Great, yeah. let's do it. Or no, let's not. Let me objection handle that. With people that I'm connected with on LinkedIn, I go, "Hey Tom, I just got our new book of accounts, and guess what? You're in it. I noticed that you, uh, you and I are connected on LinkedIn. Totally fine if you don't want to have a conversation about this. You could say, you go gross, go away, Sarah.' But I'm curious. Would you be willing to give me just a few minutes to pick your brain to see if it's worth, if it's worth like prospecting? Like, if it's, if it's Is worth that on LinkedIn or
0: an email? Sorry, that's on LinkedIn." that's on
1: LinkedIn. I DM you on LinkedIn. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: Um and then uh that's for people who are like engaging, like who follow Gong on LinkedIn. I look at who follows my company, people who yep. are downloading white pages. And then there's some people that um I just try to like strike up a conversation with. Like let's let's try to talk. we'll to try to talk to you. Yeah. Try to get to know you and um I just try to do a lot of rapport building on LinkedIn just I don't I don't like pitching people so it's different if someone follows your company because then you can say hey like I know you've dabbled in our content we have to be providing value to you in some way you can tell me if you just like reading our content or if you think there's something bigger here but if someone's not doing that and it's a different approach it's like walking up to somebody at a happy hour or a bar or something Mm -hmm. and uh just like trying to strike up a conversation so you can start with like hi how are you? Although how are you is like the most boring starting line ever, but just like try to strike up a conversation and get to know them. And then like eventually I'll pivot to work if it makes sense. And then eventually I'll pivot to like the the ask, which is, hey, I don't know if you're familiar with us at all and I don't even know if this is relevant to you, but I've noticed X, Y, and Z things about your company. And I thought it might make sense to have a conversation, but if it doesn't just tell me no, and I won't bring it up ever again. And we can still and we can go back to talking about whatever it is that we had been rapport building about before. Um, and that works really well because people like, no, I'm a real human being. They've gotten to know me. We've made each other laugh. And um, the, the defense mechanism of, oh, you're gonna try to take my money um <laughs> goes down right. Drops away. that down. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think like at the end of the day, like I'm not, I'm not trying to I'm, the first thing I'm trying to do is just get on a qualification call and see if see if really there is a bigger conversation at hand. I'm not I'm not trying to close close a sale right then and there. Um, so that's why I go about prospecting on LinkedIn. At the same time, simultaneously like I could be chatting with you on LinkedIn, but I've also dropped you into a sequence in outreach. So I'm sending you like a more formal, like business email that's very, very brief and to the point. It's like, hey Tom, I noticed X, Y, and Z thing about your company. We work with sales leaders who experience X, Y, and Z pain. Um, would you be open to learning about how you can solve ABC issue? And that's you know the email that I'm sending out with a bunch of other touches and follow-ups. And then I do a lot of cold calls and not a lot. I do enough cold calls that I'm like, like if I, I take, I have a report of MQLs of like marketing qualified leads that I check every day. And, um, before I drop them into a, Hey, you downloaded content. Are you interested in buying our (laughs) software kind of sequence? I just call them and I say something like, Hey Tom, um, I noticed that you've been dabbling in Gong's content and you popped up on my radar, but more importantly, I saw that your company has grown 300% according to LinkedIn in the past six months. I'm just curious if you've ever considered exploring Gong outside of our content. And then you'll either say yes or no. And then I'll say like, well, does it doesn't make sense for me to give you the high level pitch. And then I'll do my really great pitch. And then, you know, we'll just, we'll just yeah.
0: see, see where it goes from there. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love the tactical, uh, the tactical piece. Uh, before, I know we're getting close on time. I want to talk for one minute about LinkedIn. One minute. One minute. Maybe <laughs> three minutes.
1: Maybe. Um, maybe.
0: So, so the way that you write is very unique on LinkedIn, and the way that you talk in this conversation is unique. Like you're fun. Like you're you're saying like wonky wonk. You know, like all these different things, and you write the way that you talk. I would say, right? Like you write like a human. You don't necessarily write like I don't know, just like this kind of stuck up, like I don't know, just like ro- robot business person that you see I am on, smart. a lot. Hmm?
1: Listen to how smart I am. I am smart yeah. on this LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, smart like smart so. T- tell <laughs> yeah, like, tell me why why you do it so uniquely. Like why? There's obviously a conscious decision. It obviously works. Um, it feels very real, but like, just tell me a little bit about why you do it that way versus the way that ninety-nine percent of people probably put things out.
1: Um, I guess because I'm just like a weirdo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I just I love things that make me laugh, and uh, usually when I'm writing one of my posts, I'm making myself chuckle. I just yeah. think. The world of sales is not life or death. Nobody ever died because someone didn't sign your contract this month. Probably. Probably not. Maybe there's maybe like a small <laughs> small midget. You know, there's there's always a chance. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, you know, like I'm not I'm not I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor, not a nurse. I'm not not any of those things. And even if I was, I'd probably still make jokes because sales is a challenging it's a challenging thing to be in, and that it's very emotionally draining. Your highs are high, and your lows are low, and everything in between is a grind. Yep. Um, and if I just think like if I took every every down, if every disappointing moment in my life seriously, um, then I'd probably be laying on this couch instead of sitting on it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. if if I can make fun of the things that are funny. And if I can um, express something in a way that is interesting, um, then it'll be fun. I don't know. I I when I when I was a middle school teacher, it's, it's probably like my middle school teacher vibes. But yeah, we used to write we used to write plays as a class, and it was just so much fun. Like getting creative with the dialogue and writing things that feel absurd and delightful and whimsical. And then getting to read that out loud—it's just like a really fun act of creativity. And um, yeah, I do it on I do it on LinkedIn, and I and then I read my posts out loud to my boyfriend, and I'm like, "Isn't that funny?"
0: <laughs> Does he find it funny?
1: Yeah, most of the time. Sometimes, it's
0: like,
1: <laughs> sometimes it's like that's that's not your that's not your best. That's yeah. uh, that one. I didn't think Bring that, that back
0: work. to the drawing board. They're
1: <laughs> like, all right, I'll reel it in. I mean, you should see my first drafts because often they're like too many words. And sometimes like the post that I made about the SDR stuff. I mean, there were way more, way more jokes and like little jabby jabs at companies that, that don't do a good job of building structure before they scale an SDR organization. Yeah. And, uh, I I was just cracking myself up. Then I had to delete a bunch of it. I, I wish I hit, I wish I saved a copy, but yeah. Like I just, I just don't The thing is that I'm not an expert so I shouldn't write like I'm an expert. I should write like I'm in the field selling and just trying to enjoy it. Cause that's what I'm actually trying to do. And um, oh. if I can't poke fun at my job or myself or just delight in creating words that aren't real words, then what's the point?
0: Then what's <laughs> life? I wanted to, uh, in the spirit of drama and theater, wanted to finish actually reading one of your posts in a dramatic reading that oh, I yeah. don't know if I've done in my three and a half years of podcasts. but here we go. <clears throat> this is from about one year ago, LinkedIn tells me. I'm an SDR. I sell to sales leaders. The other day, I called the VP of sales. He was very, very disappointed in me for bothering people in Q4. Then he hung up on me. I had to laugh a little. I wonder what he's telling his reps as his revenue numbers hang over his head. Don't call people in Q4? Nah. And so I keep dialing. <laughs> over 10,000 likes on that bad boy. That's awesome. That's all I got. I just love yeah. that.
1: Yeah. Uh, nah.
0: Nah. Nah.
1: Nah. Yeah, that was that's the post that went viral that um, made me made me who I am on LinkedIn.
0: Oof, that's where it all started.
1: That's where it all started. And it's true. It's a true story. It happened two days before I wrote that post. I couldn't get it out of my head. I was like, that guy, yeah, right. And I, I was, I was slacking in AE about it, and I just thought, like, that's so dumb. I'm like, yeah. so dumb. I'm just gonna write it on LinkedIn, and then. Like I walked out the door and uh, looked at my phone a couple hours later and it was just like, you have 7,000 or whatever. It's just like (laughs) crazy. It was like, Oh my gosh, all of these notifications. Got a lot of job offers out of that one.
0: (laughs) That's wild. I love that. I love that. Well, I know we're, we're, we're about uh, our backs are against the wall in time. I appreciate you being generous with your time, with your stories, with your humor. Um, Any last words, for the listeners out there and then obviously let us know where uh, the best place is to catch up with you if it's LinkedIn or anywhere else. I imagine it's probably LinkedIn though.
1: It's it's LinkedIn. I I technically have access to Clubhouse and I've, I've looked at it twice. I'm going to be on a Clubhouse thing though on March 23rd. Mm. So if oh. people want to go, you know, if you're listening to this pre-March 23rd, 2021, <clears throat> that's where I'll be there with some... Yep other people. We're talking about four things I wish my manager had taught me. Mm. Um, Yeah. So LinkedIn, um, that's what, that's, that's where I'll be. And then I guess like last thought for the listeners, gosh,
0: make it a good one.
1: Make it a good one. Yeah. (laughs) When in doubt hit the phones. That's it. That's it. When in doubt hit the phones. Pipeline is a (laughs) cure-all.
0: I love it. I love it. Great way to end. I appreciate the time, Sarah.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, everybody, happy March. Thank you for listening to that episode while you're walking the dog or doing your laundry or prospecting, whatever you're up to. Uh, please head over to Apple, leave a review, five-star review. Helps me grow the show. Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn, Tom Malamo, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Tom Tahoe. Peace.